Hey, this is a Hakawati production. My guest today is Mario Haddad, the head of distribution at Empire Entertainment, and he's also a restaurateur. Please welcome Mario Haddad. Hi. Hi. So um, you do a lot of interesting things, but let's start with the family business, which is Empire Entertainment, which right. just celebrated its 100th anniversary. Correct. It's uh, quite a long time for the same family to own a business. And I look pretty young for 100 years as yes, well. Yes, you do. Like, <laughs> And I'm impressed, impressed that you've really like, you know, continued to persevere yeah. for all those years. <laughs> so it's actually your grandfather that founded so it, right? So my grandfather started the business by importing a machine that would project moving images on walls. Mm. Uh, we're talking 1919, right? So it's after the First World War uh, and people were just trying to find new things to do. And he came across um, a couple of people who were visiting the Middle East because it wasn't really Lebanon at the time either. You know, it was still the Middle East, Lebanon and Syria, etc. Um, and they had... Um, brought in this machine that would you know project moving images on, on walls where and, did they bring it from um from the states but they were coming in from greece and um they didn't know what really what to do with it and my grandfather saw a business opportunity and he said let's you know take that from coffee shop to coffee shop and they, we get paid for showing these shorts and th these are literally short movies they were not even called movies you know they were called shorts uh, people walking in the streets in new york or san francisco or somebody falling off a building or somebody walking his dog or you know the horses at the races and stuff like that so eventually they take that from coffee shop to coffee shop and get paid to just show these short movies on you know on on a wall or people on a must white have been wall. amazed right because they'd never yeah, seen anything like, a, like that you know pretty pretty new invention eventually he opened his own coffee shop where you know on an on a regular basis they would show these shorts and eventually that turned into a pre-cinema because there was you know the orchestra the pianist was accompanying whatever is happening on on screen and eventually that became the first cinema in lebanon well in the middle east actually wow so I have, you know, I looked a little bit into the history. So by 1935, which is not so long after, uh, your grandfather and his partner, Nicolas Catan, yes, had correct. opened 36 cinemas across the Middle East, right. including other countries or just Lebanon? It was Lebanon and Syria at the and time. And Syria. Um, it, was, it wasn't a country. I mean, it was an area and yeah. And what's really crazy is that the smallest of those cinemas had like a thousand seats, correct. right? Because they were like massive rooms where people would congregate and watch those were they still shorts or they were like no by that time movies? they had become movies, movies. you know were we're, they talking, we're yeah. talking gone with the wind is 1939 okay so yes around yeah, those it days was, it was the beginning of color as well because you know it yeah. started without sound yes and they had the introduction of sound then it was color then it was cinemascope which is you know the format that we know today yeah so there was an evolution as well in the in the formats of uh, enjoying cinemas and But movies. so a thousand seats is a lot. How many seats does a cinema have today? Tip, well, they're getting smaller and smaller because yeah. people want to put more and more cinemas into one multiplex, uh -huh. you know, hence the term multiplex, yep. uh, because people want choice. So you want to go to the movies and then decide what you want to watch. Typically at the time, there was one movie being made, you know, it's Gone with the Wind and everybody mm -hmm. wants to go see Gone with the Wind and you need to put in the maximum amount of people in your cinema at one given time. Um, so typically today, I'd say a large screen format is somewhere around 300 screens. And that's the large one. The smaller ones are like 50. 300 seats. Yeah. 
that still exists. I haven't actually seen yeah. one like that. Yeah, you know, Cinema City in Souks. Oh, 300 ones. seats in, yeah. a, in one space? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, they were pretty swanky too. Like they had balconies and it yeah. was like a, quite an event, right? To yeah, it the was theater. like a, it was an outing. You know, yeah. It was a big thing to go to the movies. Yeah, times have changed a lot. Yeah, now it's a regular thing. You go yeah. every week. <laughs> and then also you have Netflix and this kind of on-demand stuff now. Yeah, it's, I mean, cinemas face so many threats, you know, um, with the advent of TV. People said, that's it. That's the end of cinema because now you've got it at home. I mean, why would you want to go out? Right. Um, and then, you know, the TV, the, the, the quality wasn't that, like, that good and it was, still col- it was still black and white while, you know, they had already reached color in the cinemas, etc. Um, so it didn't really kill it. And then video came along and then, ah, now you have the same movies at home. You wouldn't go to the movies and that didn't kill it. And then they perfected the quality of the f- videos. It became... You know, the CDV, you know, those big CD formats and then uh, DVD and then Blu-ray and then home, you know, the whole massive screen at home with the, you know, surround sound, etc. And it still didn't kill cinema. And and I know that, you know, it is perceived as a threat, but I, I, I tend to believe that it's it's more than just the content. You know, it's, it's going out to the movies. It's still going out of home. It's something to do with your girlfriend, with your boyfriend, with your spouse, with your family. You know, there are emotions inside the cinema theater, which you don't get at home because, you know, laughter, for instance, is contagious. You watch a movie, a comedy at home, you laugh. But when you hear other people laughing, it makes you even laugh harder. And, you know, same goes with a, you know, a horror movie or a scary movie or something. So emotions travel from person to person and then that is contagious. And seeing it with other people is different. So mm. I still feel that, you know, you want to take your girlfriend out, you know, you snuggle, especially in, in, in a region like ours, mm. where it's not as easy for a younger, younger generation to be seen or be allowed to go out. Yeah, with it's other. nice and dark so, in know, there. It's nice and dark. You get to cuddle <laughs> yeah. up. And I mean, I, my first dates... I don't want to tell you how long ago, but we're like always in the cinema. It was fun, you know, and then you walk out and you talk and you go to have a bite. And Mm -hmm. I think it's that that is the magic of the cinema. It's not just the content. It's not just about watching Avengers on screen. It's the experience. It's the experience of sharing that. So everything was going great for Empire until the Civil War. Mm -hmm. And then they had to shut all these beautiful theaters, right? Right. Well, most of them got destroyed. They got destroyed. By, by the war. Yeah. And then, you know, we had to make other theaters in the sense that not just building them because that takes time. It's just... Improvise. Improvising by turning, you know, theaters into cinemas, you know, with the screens and all the People equipment. were still going to the movies even during the Civil War? Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up during the Civil War and I remember cinemas being full because people didn't have anything else to do. Yeah. They couldn't do any much. Mm. There was m- much less choice to do than there is today. Plus, you can crank up the volume and like stop hearing all the shooting yeah. and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember a few times shooting inside the cinema, but uh, <laughs> that's oh, nice. a different story. That's lovely. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I read also about uh, one of uh, a story where uh, they actually used the casino as a as a right. uh, the casino was turned into place. a cinema for a period of time while we built the Espas cinemas in Zouk. Because, you know, with this, with the advent of the Civil War, then you had East and West, and people got separated, you know, Christians and Muslims, and uh, and there was this, you know, line which divided both ends of the city, and you couldn't reach the other side. And most of the cinemas 
prior to the civil war were in the what became the West Beirut. And so no access to these cinemas. So we had to build cinemas in the Christian areas. And that takes obviously time because you're building a massive yeah. uh, you know, infrastructure. Yeah. So, yeah, we took over the, uh, when I say we, my, my, my father and uncle at the time, they're the second generation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took Your over. Your father's the, name is also Mario, Mario by the way. Correct. Right, yeah. So I'm Mario Jr. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they took over the, um, the casino and turned it into a cinema until, you know, they had opened the Espace cinemas. And uh, just because I, I guess I read a little bit too much into this, but that the movies that you showed there were not new movies because maybe you weren't accessing new movies? Correct. So You, you didn't have access to yeah. the new movies. During the war. war. Yeah. Well, you had them at some periods, but it wasn't like Consistent. it is today where you release day and date, what we say day and date, which is the same day everywhere in yeah. the world. Um, at the time, you had to wait for the print to be shipped. Yeah. And You know, you didn't have access to the port and you've got shelling and you've got war. And so, you know, you had to and you couldn't keep a cinema open with no movies, people. You know? mm. So you had to play movies that were already playing in different parts of the country. But it's okay, you know, then mm. these people didn't have access to these movies anyway, because there was, you know, again, no video, no, no other alternatives. Mm. So then it was obviously like a f- actual film. How do you get the film these days? Today, it's a digital print. At the time, it was, you know, what you probably remember as a cinema, which is a 35 millimeter reel. I don't yeah. know if you've seen Cinema Paradiso. You know, have you ever yeah. seen Cinema yeah. Paradiso? All right. So they, they used to come in these big reels, mm-hmm. um, 35 millimeter, and, you know, put it on a machine that would just yeah. roll these, the, those frames mm-hmm. at a certain amount of frame Speed. per second. Yeah. yeah. Uh, today, it's everything is digital. So you get a hard disk. You plug it oh, into really? a machine and then you get a signal from the studio that allows you to download it and screen it. So it's still a, a physical object. It's still a physical object, yeah. but not for long. Yeah, you know, the it's next, changing, huh? Yeah, the next generation is going to be, you know, just signals beamed from, you know, the source. Yeah. So the war lasted, uh, the civil war here in Lebanon lasted till 2000, more or less. I mean, until it was like completely before. No, not 2000, before. 1990. Okay. Yeah, so 15 years. And then after that, you guys started rebuilding, rebuilding right. at warp speed, <laughs> right? Not you really, have, but yeah, no? I mean, yeah. So it's still, how, how many theaters do you have now? I have no idea. What? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Well, about, about 40. 40. Screens. And which countries are they in? 40 screens. Yeah. Uh, so cu- in one theater, cu- you can have like five screens. Yeah, and you can have 15. 15, okay. Currently, we operate in Lebanon and Iraq, mm-hmm. and we're currently building in Saudi. Oh, excellent. Yeah, we've got 17 multiplexes opening up within the next five to six years in Saudi. Wow. Is it, why is that? Because Saudi didn't have any cinemas until, you know, they've been banned for the last 40 years. Uh, and it's a massive When market. did they lift the, lift the ban on last movies? Year. Last year. Oh, you hear about the women driving, but yeah. that didn't make as many headlines. Well, it did in our world. So it was yeah. a massive, uh, you know, change news. Yeah, because... Mm. It's going to double the size of the market for us. So we, so we are distributors and exhibitors. So which means we own the cinemas and we distribute the movies, and we do that for the entire Arab world. So when we distribute a movie, it's not only Lebanon; it's the entire Arab world from Libya to Iran, inclusive. And Saudi, uh, given the size of the of the country and the purchasing power, uh, is going to change the entire you know dynamic of everything we do because it's going to double that size. Definitely. 
So the you know the focus right now and the massive investments are all going into Saudi. That's incredible. It's super exciting, by the way. Yeah, it is. So uh, when you say you're distri- you're the sole distributors, is that only for like American productions or also for um, international films and local, you know, regional films? It's a bit a bit of everything. So we're licensees for American companies like Sony, uh, which owns Columbia, 20th Century Fox. So these are the major studios and these have licensees across the world and they operate as if they're the agent of this company, of this studio, and they release the those movies on their behalf. But you also have small independent producers whose movies you access through film markets like Cannes, Berlin, mm. Toronto, etc. And where you go and buy the, the actual rights. Uh, rights of that movie. Right. And the, so often, you know, a producer only has one movie. So mm-hmm. he's not a studio, he's just a producer. Uh, so in this case, you're not really a licensee, you're buying the rights of a specific title. Uh, and these titles can be French, Italian, anything really. Uh, so we do handle a little bit of French products because of the fact that I personally love them. There used to be an audience in Lebanon, which unfortunately... Is that dwindling? It's disappeared. Really? Yeah. I mean, uh, I hear of stories when they used to tell me that 40 years ago, they would open a new cinema with a French title. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people would flock. Just that is the big opening of the week. Today, you'll struggle to get a thousand people watch a, a French title. Mm. Unfortunately, but and it's only Lebanon, you know, Lebanon yes. today represents a very small margin of our turnover. Market, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, we do handle uh, some French. We handle local titles and we're currently producing. We'll get to that in a bit. Oh, interesting. Um, uh, we handle Bollywood titles for the Gulf region because there's a big Indian community living ah, in, in the Gulf. So, yeah, so a bit of everything. So, yeah, you're getting into production too? We're getting into production, local productions. Okay. So we have our first title being produced. We're co-producing with um, Front Row, who are also uh, fellow distributors, and Mohamed Hafzi, who's a very famous and well-respected producer in Egypt. So it's a Lebanese-Egyptian co-production. And we've bought the remake rights of an Italian movie, which was a massive success everywhere in the world and was me- remade in different languages called Perfetti Sconosciuti. Perfetti Sconosciuti. Uh, Sconosciuti. Sconosciuti. So perfect Strangers. Ah, okay. And um, we're in the midst of finalizing deals with the director, the cast and everybody. So hopefully by next year we'll have our first title. Wow. Yeah. Mabruk. Yeah, It's super exciting. Yeah. Um, So now you're moving in Saudi Arabia, but uh, back in about 97, you guys, that was the time when you guys went into the UAE. Because obviously you were super successful in Lebanon, but that was back then, you know, the world was changing and stuff. So there were a few probably um, significant shifts in in the company, which was when you moved into other countries, including in the UAE. Um, Tell me about like when, how that happened. So until then, Lebanon was the market. Right. There was Lebanon and Egypt and the rest of the Gulf practically didn't exist in terms of cinema going audience. They didn't even have cinemas. I mean, the cinemas were like still archaic and small, mm-hmm. etc. And the, the Gulf states were small in terms of size of populations. Um, but that started growing in the early 90s, mid 90s by by 1997 and with the advent of Titanic. Yes. If you remember Titanic, which was a massive hit everywhere. The... The, the movies at the time were sold 
uh, on a flat basis to the Gulf region. So somebody would come and say, okay, I want to take your movie for the Gulf states yeah. and I'm paying you X amount, you know, flat fee. Uh, and the, the prices started going up, which meant there was more and more business. And when Titanic came along, it just did fortune in the Arab world and the Gulf states specifically. And the studio who owned the rights at the time, which were Fox, said, okay, enough of selling you know, outright, which means flat fees. We need to start looking at this as a proper business and you need to go open an office in Dubai so that we control mm-hmm. the market. Yeah. And that's what we did. So we went in around circa 97, 98, we opened our first office. We were the first distributors to open an office in in the Gulf and um, established our, ourselves over there. And, you know, from what was a 2 million admission market per year, we're now at 20 million. Wow. So 20 million tickets sold annually is what the UAE alone is mm. worth today. 20 million tickets. It was 2 million in ni- around... 1997. It's incredible. The, well, the population there has grown also, of course. Right. But not by that rate. No? Well, no, it's not multiplied by 10. If you say so. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, definitely not. Because, um, you know, today the UAE is around 9 million people. Yeah. 1.2 or 1.5 of these are locals and mm-hmm. the rest are expats. Yeah. So if you want to multiply by 10, that means they didn't even have any locals. At the time, right. so yeah, I'd, I'd I'd presume it's doubled since. Mm-hmm. But you know the it's the culture and yeah, the you know yeah. they, they've built cinema. They didn't have cinemas, yeah. so you've got they didn't have molds. So when we opened, you know, there were like tiny little yeah. structures street, being built, and now walls. they've got the biggest, most beautiful, the brushiest mold molds anywhere. So that was good timing, definitely. And so now Empire is getting into also gaming, right? Right. It's still early days. It's still early yes. days. So we're looking at all kinds of parallel types mm-hmm. of businesses which we can develop. And gaming is definitely one of them. So we've started organizing esports tournaments across the UAE and eventually moved that into Saudi. And we're looking into you know, developing um, streaming for everything that's esports. Um, and that could be in line with cinemas or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a massive world. I don't know how much you know about esports. I didn't know no, anything until I'm not like into recently. gaming at all. Yeah, it's it's a massive world. It's, yeah, it's I know bigger, that it's huge. It's, it's a bigger world than yeah. the movies. Yeah, in terms of definitely and, and online. I know on YouTube even like the the, the amount of people who play the, games yeah. and spend fortunes just upgrading and the and whole buying. industry around it yes, even like it's, it's just crazy. like crazy. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, there's a lot of potential there, I guess. Is there? Um, are you limited by the uh, internet penetration in the region? Like, um, well, uh, in the Gulf, internet? in the Gulf, you, the the speed of the internet is is is, is fantastic. Perfect, I yeah. mean, it's uh, it's more Lebanon that uh, mm-hmm. lags behind. Well, what about the other countries like Egypt? Uh, well, but it's not our focus at this point. Yeah. you know, we're so going to start at focusing at the, the Gulf, Gulf and mm-hmm. then develop it from there. Okay, uh, so it's basically you running uh, the company now, and who else? And my brother. Yeah. My father's still around. He uh, oversees the entire thing. He's not really active on a day-to-day, you know, yeah. not getting involved Into in the, the nitty-gritty. But uh, so I handled all the distribution end, and my brother handles all the exhibition end. Uh, but we have a massive team. It's, uh, you know, we're over 100 employees who are well, uh, really are a part of the family because a lot of them have been with us for 
since before I even really? joined. Wow. Yeah, I've, I've been with the company 25 years and Amazing. I have a lot of people I work with who've been there before me. Uh, so, you know, uh, my brother and I might be heading the company, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's a big team. It's a big team. And it's more like a family team. That's so nice. Uh, there's not so many of those anymore, it seems. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- that's the that's the nice part of the family business. Yeah. It's actually really a family business and it really feels like a family business. Mm. And that's nice. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, so it sounds like you're super busy, but despite that, you also have seven restaurants, which is crazy. <laughs> that's a lot of restaurants. Is it? I keep, yeah. I keep thinking, mm, I'd like to have more. Really? Well, the, the problem is... You don't want to open restaurants in a in an environment like today's in Beirut, where you know the economy is struggling. But you're doing it anyways. Yeah, because I, it's out of passion. You know, I yeah. I have trouble resisting. I'm yeah, like, yeah. oh, I see a location and I have a brilliant yeah. idea and I want to do that. And sometimes yeah. I can't resist, and sometimes I say, oh, turn 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 and, their uh, head yeah. and forget about it and move on. Yeah. <laughs> so you have seven restaurants. Correct. Do you want tell me what they are? So sushi bar. Yeah, which bar, you just relocated, right? Which we relocated. So Le Sushi Bar is a 21-year-old institution now. Which so you were Lebanon really young when... Yeah, it's unheard of. It's unheard of, of for, Le- for restaurants yes. that are not Lebanese because Lebanese restaurants last forever yeah. you know, from generation to yes, generation. Yes. But a, a, a restaurant that's not Lebanese, there's very few that last mm-hmm. that long. I can name them on one hand probably. Yeah. And um, so that in itself is an achievement. But Le Sushi Bar has been you know, completely reinventing itself all the time and i think that's the the reason for our success we've not you know slept on our laurels at any point we've always kept evolving 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 and what started as a little corner sushi bar on a first floor because we couldn't afford the ground floor is now you know the probably the toast of town it's the nicest restaurant around it's the most modern the new one downtown you mean yes yeah it's amazing and the buzz is incredible everyone loves it it's all marble and wood and it feels zen and luxurious at the same Same time time, it's really cool without any pretenses yeah yeah. exactly so it's uh so yeah it's a nice story the whole sushi bar so i'll say i'll just want to tell you that what i really liked i remember one of the times i discovered in ashrafi the one that you had there that you you had the option of ordering a fresh wasabi Right. Which is like unheard of unheard also. Of in Lebanon, because yeah. everyone thinks it's act- is what they're eating is wasabi, but that's horse actually radish. horseradish. Yeah, with colorant. Yes, with colorant. <laughs> yeah, because they, they removed wanted... it from the from the ginger, but not from the uh, right. horseradish. Yeah. Well, no, the horseradish is white. They, yeah. they, they add Oh, right. Green. Why, though? So that looks like wasabi. Yeah, because wasabi is green. It's, it's green. But the it's more like a, it's a root vegetable and you grate it at the table. You grate it on shark skin, on dried shark skin. On shark skin. skin. Oh, yeah, wow. So they bring this little palette yeah. and it's got That's a dried amazing. shark skin on it. And yeah. you rub it and yeah, you get all the fibers and That's juices. That's really lovely. Yeah. We still do that. You still do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Not everyone knows. It's a secret. It's not really a secret, but it's so expensive. Yeah. Uh, How much is it again? So we charge per per. Yeah. Proportion because yeah. when you ask for fresh wasabi, you actually have to pay for the fresh wasabi as an extra. Yes. Well, whereas the usual wasabi, you know, the it's horseradish like, wasabi yeah. is for free. Yeah, it's like ginger; you don't yeah, have yeah, to yeah. pay for that. So we we charge five dollars per portion. Okay. You know, when you got the the horseradish for free, some people are like okay, I mm. don't really care. Yeah. Uh, so that's why we don't try and force it on people. Yeah. Mm. It's really much better though. Yeah. I mean, it's a completely different experience. Yeah, because it, yeah. it's it's very umami-ish. Do you know the term umami? I, I think I 
come across forgot, it. Yeah, I forgot. So what umami it is a, is a is a type of flavor or sense when it comes to food. You know, we've got sour, sweet, uh, bitter, etc. Mm-hmm. Umami. Oh, you've got umami, and that's uh, in Japanese cuisine. So they invented umami, which um, is very difficult to explain if you've never, you know, because yeah. we've we've been brought up with bitter, sweet, uh, mm-hmm. you know, salty, etc. So umami is described as this long lingering feeling in your mouth. So okay. it's like mm, it stays there. So the wasabi is that. It's it has that umami feel because it fills it fills all of this all of your mouth. Whereas the it goes in your nose also. Yeah, Does that count? It, 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 <laughs> is that it, part of it? it you kind of feel yeah. it. Whereas with the horseradish, it's sharper and yeah. shorter. Okay. And this is more lingering. Oh. I'll pay more attention next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Umami. <laughs> yeah, if you Can you only use it for like uh, Japanese cuisine? No, but it, Japanese invented it because they are always searching for that umami flavor. Mm. So when, everything they do, you know, the balance to try to get is yes. in search of umami. And how do you ba- so, what do you balance it with? Umami and no, no, it's it it's reaching the umami. umami. I see. You know, that's okay. what you want to get to. You know, okay. the, you know, some some cultures like our culture is very soury. You know, our food is very sweet. We add lemon. Lemony, yeah. So we like sour. Yeah. You know, they like umami. So yeah. it's like saying, you know, sour, umami. <laughs> Interesting. So so you have the sushi bar. You have uh, falamanke. Falamanke. So, so three of the falamanke. Yeah. So, so what's that? What's the concept? So falamanke is a, um, uh, is a Lebanese traditional cafe, really. It's mm-hmm. more of a cafe than a restaurant where they're open 24 hours and where people can come just enjoy sitting around having a coffee have a shisha play backgammon or cards or even have a bite just hang around it's 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 authentic uh, and um, and traditional and it's not make believe old it's actually old in how the sense. so so all the because you have new you have an old one i know in lebanon then you have a new one by the sea here and then you have one in dubai also right correct but yeah. i mean the furniture oh. is not make believe old it's old that oh. we actually bought from old homes oh, or you know from used cafes old cafes actually the first uh, falamenki we opened in sodeco 10 years ago we went searching for you know the, the furniture mm-hmm. and artifacts and everything and one of the places we went to was Egypt and we went to the Khan al-Khalili where you find all these the old souks. And we came across this massive uh, cafe, you know, uh, in Egypt called Ahwet uh, al-Fashawi. So it's an old cafe where everything is really old. Even, you know, the, the, the jar where they were serving us, um, you know, tea with was rusted. I mean, mm. I hope but, you took that one home. Yeah, well, no, no we couldn't use that. But, <laughs> okay. but but we bought, we actually offered to buy the chairs and tables. And mm-hmm. the, the owner of the cafe was like, you know, they're not for sale. It must have been like, like a dream. You can sit on them yeah. and, and have something yeah. to drink or eat, but we're not selling you. So we actually bought them new tables and chairs wow. so that they'd give us the old ones. So I wanted to use really old stuff. So mm-hmm. all the furniture is actually old stuff. Which is really nice. That's pretty it, bold and yeah. But it you go creative. there and you have that feeling like it's yeah. you know you're sitting in your grandmother's yeah, yeah. garden somewhere. To be honest, when I went, I, I had no idea it's new. I thought it was one of those places yeah. that's been around forever. Right. So yeah. Even the flooring, it's you know the tiles are taken from old Lebanese homes that have been destroyed. Mm. They've managed to keep the tiling because they're beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and, and they're, so I bought them back yeah. and put them and used them. Wow. Interesting. So, so you have Falamanki and what else? I've got a place called Don, which yeah. is a, an Asian eatery. Uh, and I've got a restaurant called Mario e Mario, 
which is an Italian authentic little gem, and a new edition called Mariolino, which is Little Mario, uh, which is a you know the pizzeria of the the, the neighborhood, yeah, yeah, of the neighborhood. It's yeah. that little neighborhood pizzeria. So that's that's yeah. it. Tell me about Mario and Mario. So Mario and Mario, that's an interesting story, by the way. You're gonna like that. So when I started venturing in the restaurant business, it was I was young, I was around 25, and uh, I was already working with the family business. And my father wasn't too keen on me opening restaurants. He was like, "Well, we have a business to operate. I need you to concentrate. You know, why do you want to open restaurants? It's a tough business." Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to do something on my own. I want. I, I felt the need to create something because it was all nice being offered an office after I graduated and say, you sit here, you can do that, etc. I didn't, I felt I didn't create anything. And the only thing I was interested in, apart from movies, because I loved movies growing up in that environment, was food. Mm-hmm. And my dad is a chef, well, not a professional chef, but he's a fan gourmet. And he, I remember him cooking every night. Uh, as I was when younger. You were little. Yeah, little. And I just sneak into the kitchen, sm- start smelling what he was cooking and wanting always to help. What was he cooking? Was he cooking mostly Pastas. Lebanese food or no, it Italian? Was always pasta. Hmm. Every night, pasta. If it's not pasta, then risotto. You must have been happy. Kids love pasta, yeah, right? Yeah. You know, I, I had a very happy childhood. Yeah. So um, I grew up loving food. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents sent me, I invited them at the age of 11 for a whole cooked meal. So I've been cooking since wow. I was a kid. What, what did you make? I can't remember. You can't? No. They tell me I, I invited them. I can't even remember okay. that. Okay, that's so cute though. But probably, you know, something similar to what he used to prepare, which yeah. is pastas and risottos. And um, so I grew up cooking and loving food. And so when I decided I wanted to create something on my own, you know, the first thing that came to mind was a restaurant. Little, you know, like, ta-da, mm-hmm. you know, I opened a restaurant. And when I started thinking of what type of restaurants, I thought uh, of sushi because I grew up in London and I enjoyed Japanese cuisine. And there weren't, there were, there were a few, but there weren't, there wasn't really a sushi bar, mm-hmm. a, a bar of sushi where you'd sit around the bar yeah. and they'd prepare the sushi for you. You mean here in, in, in Lebanon. Lebanon or so, even in the whole Middle East, probably. I mean, no one yeah. was eating sushi yeah. in, in like that, 1997. right? Yeah. So um, it kind of surfaced in the 90s, right? Like, I mean, yeah, early, early 2000s, even, you know, yeah, in this part of the world. Yeah. So I decided I want to open a restaurant. I went to, uh, you know, the bank because I didn't have any money. And my dad was against it. So I can't ask for he was against it. Yeah, he was against the idea of me venturing into a different business. Yeah. You know, we have a, an empire yeah. an empire to operate and I need you to concentrate. Yeah, and, don't scatter your yeah, energy. I mean, and what do you know about restaurants anyway, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I still wanted to do it. I thought I, I want to do something. That little that I understand how complicated it is. You mm-hmm. know, cooking at home is one thing. Opening a restaurant is a completely different ball right. And I thought of sushi at the time because thinking, you know, it's raw fish. You just cut and serve. How complicated it can be. You don't even have to cook be. it. Yeah, you know, it's how, amazing. It's simple. <laughs> and, you know, none of the ingredients were available. You know, yeah. there were techniques I had no idea about. Was, you know, operating yeah. restaurants is a very difficult business. Anyway, so we eventually, because the bank wouldn't give me the money and didn't have any guarantees, my dad did, I didn't want to ask. So I started knocking on my friend's doors, my brother, etc., and, you know, managed to get the funds to open a restaurant. So we opened that restaurant. It was... Um, a massive success. Mario, Mario. No, Sushi Bar. Sushi Bar. That was the so, first one. Yeah, yeah. So I'm telling you the story that yes. would lead to Mario, Okay, okay, Mario. okay. 
So massive success, sushi bar. You know, I was making a fortune compared to what I was really being paid in the family business. You know, because that must have felt so good. By the way, it felt yeah. amazing. You know, yeah, like, yeah. wow, this is a great business. I'm I I rock at it, etc. Yeah. I love it. I make money. So you know that led to the second place, which was a Moroccan lounge. Mm-hmm. Um, opened a because there was a concept that I knew in London that I wanted to emulate and. That was an even bigger success. Mm. And that was like a night place. Um, after that, within a year, that was called Rai at the time. And after that, I opened a rooftop. It was the first rooftop in Lebanon called Asia, which now is called Capitol. Ah, yes, uh, downtown. Yeah. Uh, that was yours? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was. So Sushi Bar, we opened in 98. Rai was 99 and Asia was 2000. So within three years, I had opened three That's... restaurants. By which time my dad was like, Okay, my son excels at this business. Yeah. I'll support. Okay. So I started, you know, because he was he wasn't really happy about the whole idea at the beginning. So I kept saying, you know, one day we'll open a restaurant together, you and I, and we'll call it Mario and Mario. Uh, okay. you know, and you and I can cook, so etc. Because, you know, we cook at home together, etc. And that in a way was like, Oh yes, you know. Mm-hmm. And we kept talking about that idea for years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know how serious I really was or how serious he was, but, you know, it was a little dream of ours to actually one day open that. And one day I come across a little house in Maram Khayil that was a restaurant, but, a, you know, a restaurant that hadn't worked and closed down. And I thought, you know, I, I think I can turn this into a little gem and I'll do it. My, I'll, I'll do Mario and Mario, but I'll actually do it as a surprise. So I wouldn't tell my dad. I actually went about getting the chef, the Italian chef, setting up the restaurant, doing everything, having pictures of the entire walls are pictures of him and I cooking. So really? know, different periods of our lives, etc. That's cetera, et so, so sweet. So I, I did the restaurant, you know, had the signage at the door, etc. And he's still unaware of the whole thing. And once I, the whole thing was ready, I told him, you know, you know, we often go out for dinner together, etc. So I told him, the new place opening, you want to try it out? Sure. So we start, you know, driving in those streets and <laughs> yeah. etc. And, you know, he, I'm driving slowly that so he, you know, notices yeah, the, yeah. the place. And at one point he looks up and he, signs, he sees the sign. He goes, stop, stop, stop. I said, what's going on? He goes, look at these fuckers. They stole our name. <laughs> That's such a funny story, by so the way. He actually thought yeah. that somebody had come up with an idea to open a place called Mario Mario. At, he at no point imagined yeah, that, yeah, you know, yeah. it was... Did you, you know, play along? Did you like... No, so yeah, he played along. Like, he said, stop, th- I want to go down. So he went, he goes down. You I didn't have, say anything. I had the, the whole thing on video. You do? Way. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had the, I had set up the whole thing. I had people filming us. and oh, really? Because I wanted, you know, to keep yeah, that yeah, yeah. memory. And I had invited all his friends. What do you mean you had people filming you? Like at the restaurant or in yeah, the car? Yeah, yeah. At, behind, you know, at the entrance, the entrance. from inside. Oh, everything. Okay. So he walks in. Amazing. And he sees this little restaurant. It's yeah. a 40-seater. It's a tiny restaurant. And um, pictures of us on the walls. <laughs> His picture. They stole the and pictures he looks at too. Me and he goes like, "Did you know about that?" <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> so really at that time, funny. I told him, you know, it's me. I, this is a surprise yeah. for us, etc. And I had invited all his friends, all my yeah. parents' friends, and they, yeah. you know, started coming in, etc. So, and the company is called Love Project. Okay. You know, every company. Which every company? Rest- it, every the, com- okay. the company that owns Mario Mario. So each restaurant is a different company. Okay. I've got partners in each I see. in different restaurants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the, the company that owns Mario and Mario is called Love Project because okay. it was done as a yes. labor of love, as a, an ode to my dad. It's a present to... 
the gift of this loving food. This must have food. been like for all the pain you caused him growing yes. up. Like and I had the, to make it up. <laughs> made it all just go away in one second. So yeah, it's a lovely story. It is a lovely yeah. story. How's that? That restaurant's still open. Yeah, it's still open, doing fantastically well. That's really nice. And it's a tiny restaurant. I mean, yeah. it's never. It's not a restaurant that will ever make a fortune. But, it, you know, it's, it's, it's our little yeah. toy, our little gem. I cook there all the time. You do? Yeah. So I became a chef later yes. on. Yes. So when did you become a chef? <laughs> so I don't know. I, I don't know if there's a time where I actually yeah. started but you calling studied, myself. You went to chef so school. I, no, no, I oh, didn't go didn't. to chef school. I went and, and um, worked with Alberico Pinati, who's um, one of the most important Italian chefs in the world, who was the executive chef of the Harry's Bars. And who's a family friend and who welcomed me into his kitchen. And I trained with him in, in one of his restaurants in Paris. For how long? Um, on and off uh, for, for a long period of time. But enough for me to be able to enjoy the, the actual energy of a kitchen. Mm. You know, it's, uh, it's all good owning a restaurant but, you know, and cooking. Yeah. But it's different. The energy of a kitchen is, is absolutely mad magical magical okay. yes i love it you know there's the orders coming in people shouting and just you have to synchronize everything and it's lovely i love it's that. like a symphony you know right? it's, it's, it's weird of, how some yeah. people love certain things yeah, and others definitely other it's, things it's, <laughs> it's not everyone finds that passion and it's yeah. amazing that you, know, you have I'm, i'm blessed in that sense i've come across you know i've er, early on i found out what my passions were i mean I come back home if I'm stressed, I have to cook and that relaxes me. But, But you... I have to cook for people. Oh, really? I'd never cook for myself. Whereas my dad, he cooks for himself. Hmm. Every night he just, okay, I'm going to prepare a pasta for myself. I'd, I'd never do that. Why? Um, I don't know. I, I find no pleasure in the actual cooking. Yeah. I find the pleasure in cooking for someone. So when you see people eating the food that you made, this is the moment yeah. where you're like, ah, yeah. Great. I mean, preparing <laughs> it is, there's loads of pleasure in preparing it, but knowing that you're going to please. Yeah. I like that. So what do you cook now? Only Italian mostly? No, I or? cook everything except Lebanese. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's odd. I, I don't know. Maybe it's too close to home. Yeah. You know, I've never... I, I love Lebanese food. It's my favorite cuisine. Yeah. But cooking it just doesn't sound sexy. Yeah. It's always like a big pot and with like lots of No, I don't mind that. It's just that it's, it's, it's home-cooked food it's in adding. a way that, you know, yeah, it's, it's just not something I'm... What I know, I can't. I can never see myself rolling the yeah. leaves and saying, "Okay, I cook yeah. it and wait for it for three hours." No, not yeah, really. Yeah. I want something a bit. That's more like sexy. the worst possible thing you'd want to cook, anyways, <laughs> in Lebanese cuisine. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> like, yeah. But everything in Lebanese cuisine is tedious. You know, it's like the kusa you have to do, or the kibbe. You have to mm. do it for <laughs> five hours, and it's yeah. just. It's lovely to eat, less lovely to cook. But you know, like uh, sushi, you have to roll it also. Yeah, I don't do sushis either. You don't? <laughs> I do Japanese cuisine, other dishes from Japanese cuisine, mm -hmm. but not, I, I mean, I've rolled sushi. I've I had yeah, to learn doing it, but uh, it's not, you know, it's not real pleasure. That's not what you rolling. do to relax yeah, when no, you get home no, at the no, end of the day. No, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> pasta anytime. Yeah. What else? What other cuisines? So I've, I do a lot of Asian, Indian, um, Vietnamese, um, Yeah, paellas, puyabes. Uh, you know. So you were the first to do, I mean, you were kind of at the beginning of sushi in the region. What do you think now is like the next big food trend? Uh, Peruvian has been doing yeah. incredibly well. And now everybody's talking about the return of Mexican. Mm -hmm. Well, there's a lot of places opening up. Yeah, but they're still the old school Mexican. <laughs> they're, they're actually not that good. Yeah. yeah. So, they're old school and actually they're not even, they're... I don't know what, what to call it, to be honest. It's not really Mexican at all. So which ones have you tried? Well, I'm not going to name any names. 
Can you tell I, me any nice ones you've tried? Have you tried them locally? All? Listen, I lived in Texas, mm -hmm. so I and I've been to Mexico. Okay. So maybe my so, expectations are so a little too high. So there's a nice one which yeah. has a Mexican owner. Yeah. Uh, well, he's he's not really Mexican. He's from Texas, but lived in Mexico, and um, and Mexicano. No, 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 uh, no. The restaurant, no, no. Uh, it's called. Uh, it's not really a Mexican restaurant. It's a taco place. Ah, uh, Taqueria del Jefe. Yes, I know that one. That's the nice place. Yeah. Yeah, this is really nice. I like it. Well, I've only ordered from there, and I ordered oh, like the. I don't know. Mush Can you order? Yeah, it's like it's soggy by the time you get yeah. it. Plus, I don't it's eat soggy meat. even if you eat there. I mean, yeah. this is something you have to eat instantly. Yeah, uh, it's street food. Yeah. yeah, I know. I have to try it. Try it again. Yeah. Trust me. Okay. I will. So Mexican. I'm I'm trustworthy when it comes to choosing nice places yeah. for food. Okay. I don't know how much you can trust me with other things, but this okay. you can trust. Me. All right. Good to know. <laughs> <laughs> so, but so a Mexican. Anything else? What do you think about Ethiopian food? I know nothing about. Ethiopian really, food. you should look into it. It's so good. Really. It's really good. Why? What's good about? It? It's uh, flavorful. Okay, I want to interview spicy. you. Spicy. Let's see. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> well, flavorful, spicy. Spicy and. Um, I'm not big on spicy, as in hot. Hot. Yeah, You're I like not? spices, mm. but not spicy. It just. Well, everything I, can I be adjusted with this, yeah. you know. But you're right. Once you put it too spicy, you don't taste the yeah. flavors anymore. Indian cuisine. I love Indian cuisine, but not when it's too spicy. Yeah. Apparently, do you know where spices come from? Why? How come? You know, from some cuisines India? are spicy. No, but why some cuisines are spicy and others not? Um. Well, there's the spice root, right? Is that yeah, but know? but what these are mean? spices. Why they use why spices? Uh, why? You know, why uh, is it hot? I mean, it's mostly in hot climates, right? Mm. That they use hot foods. I'm trying to guess here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. But I, I mean, I don't know the exact answer to that. But yeah. I was told, and that makes sense, by an Indian chef, uh -huh. a friend of mine who owns uh, a lovely Indian restaurant in, in in London, and with whom I also worked for a while. Um, and he he tell he told me that uh, spicy food was introduced in poor countries mm -hmm. um, by giving them to children. Oh. Because uh, because of the spicy, they want to drink and they drink and they bloat so they don't get hungry. Oh, no. And that's how initially they started using uh, spicy food. Yes. And, and, it, and if you realize, it's always in poor countries. It's a good trick if you want to lose weight, too. Yeah, there you <laughs> I go. guess. <laughs> so poor countries have spicy cuisines. Oh, interesting. Which is odd. Yeah. You know, Mexico, but um, uh, yeah, Africa, mm -hmm. India. But it's kind of addictive. Like I know a lot of people. Once mm. you start liking hot food, you're just like you can't stop eating it. Yeah, I, and I you, have lots of friends who are like and that. And your tolerance just keeps I mean, going I've up. I've got and a up. cousin who eats some food with her spices. Mm -hmm. <laughs> She's just yeah. My mother's like that. Yeah. yeah, she loves spice. I'm like food. that too. Yeah. It's kind mm. of bad, though, because it's true. It kind of kills the flavor. But the thing is, especially if you're eating the same foods, like, let's say, Lebanese food, like, all the time, it's like, you need to spice it up. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I like I like the flavor of my Lebanese food the way it is. The way it is. Okay, <laughs> to each their own. Yeah, thank God. Yeah. So um, your dad cooked, which was kind of unusual, right? Not a lot of, I feel like not a lot of, uh, it's Dads not very common. Dads Yeah, in the Middle East. I mean, even mm. in, it's, it's kind of a new phenomenon it's, everywhere. It's, it's funny because all the great chefs in the world are men. Men, exactly. Exactly. So just, you know why? Because men are smart. They're like, if I'm going to cook, I'm going to get paid for it. What? <laughs> I, I find women much smarter. I, I'm, I'm just kidding. But they're <laughs> smart may not be the word. Um, enterprising or like they're, all, you know, they, it's like a uh, they have this uh, urge just to like earn a living. Maybe. I but don't know. Do you, I mean, there are women chefs, but very, very few, few that are 
uh, yeah. who become stars. Yeah, yeah there are very few. Why. There's one in France and, yeah, and I mean, there's, there's, there's a, a few. few. But, but how come? There's very few. I don't know. The, What's the your theory? I don't have a theory. You're in the kitchen. You should I have, have no a theory. theory on it's that a hard matter. job, right? I mean, you're there late hours, long hours on your feet. What it's you, physically you demanding. Women can't? Um, Too no. demanding on women? No, I'm just trying to find the reason. Yeah, I, mean, I don't find the reason. Maybe they do that at home, anyways, right? Maybe men have better taste. Oh, that's just wrong. <laughs> What do you mean they have better taste? Well, they like women, so you know that in itself makes them. Yeah, have but why taste. they? What do you mean they have better taste? Better taste <laughs> I don't, of I don't what? Know. I'm trying to come up with a theory. <laughs> There's none that makes sense because right. you know we all were brought. I mean, most of us were brought up by moms who cooked at home. Yeah. And and yet in in the kitchens maybe of restaurants or big restaurants or famous restaurants, yeah. it's always. But maybe because chef. they're stuck at home in the kitchen and they can't go out and work. And I mean, historically, now that's changed, of course, but slowly, slowly. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. You know? know? But you see them successful in other fields. In other things, yeah. I mean, for instance, in my field, for instance, of cinemas, you've got loads of women who work in that field. Mm -hmm. But they're mostly like jobs where they've gone to school and um, it's not, it's not a, being a chef is not, it's changing, but there's not that like pride of the family, like, oh, you're going to be a yeah, chef. Here, it's not like being a, a lawyer, a doctor, yes. an engineer, you know? You know, it's, this is specific to this region still. I mean, in, in Europe, you know, in, in the Europe, States, of course, it's they're, they're superstars. Yeah. I mean, a, a but that's a recent phenomenon, yes, probably in the last few couple of years, decades. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, before that, it was like. True. Here, it's still like a cook, yeah. not a chef. Yeah. It's a cook. And I, I find that in, in some of my restaurants. It's, I mean, coming across somebody who um, is proud of being in the kitchen is not yeah. that. You know, you don't get across, come across those so do you, very so, do, so your dad was unusual in that way? That he yeah, was cooking? because he never did it professionally, I guess. I don't know. But he's, yeah. To cook at home. I mean, not a lot of dads cook. Yeah. And then sure. you cook. And yeah. do your friends cook, like your guy friends? Are you like one of the few? I'm one of the few. But I, I, I but, see But I it's kind of sexy, right? Like it's sexy. Yeah, like yeah. I'm sure like women love this. Trust me, they love they, they, they Yeah, do. I trust you. And <laughs> not just for the food. I trust you for this too. No, it's true. I mean, you know, it is, I guess, sexy. I don't know. Maybe it must be. I mean, I, I've never sit, sat on the other side. Yeah. And, and, and I've never been a woman looking at a man cooking for me. But I, I must assume it. it must be nice having somebody prepare something with love for you. Probably. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> so you've never had uh, a male friend cook uh, no, for no, you with No love? man has ever cooked for me. What? Except like in a restaurant. Like Why? Um, we need to change that. Yeah. Well, what are we going to do about it? Um, I'm going <laughs> to... Text me make, and say, yeah, Mario, yeah. what are you cooking for me? <laughs> we'll see. One day. I'm putting it on my wish list. Okay, good. So uh, what's your next project? Ooh. I just opened two restaurants last week. You did? Well, yeah, I moved Sushi Bar. Oh, Sushi Bar. And yeah. Mariolino. Oh, okay, that's two, last three week. Ago. I didn't realize. Uh, two, three weeks ago. Amazing. So, so you're not ready yeah, yet not, to jump I'm into the next one? I'm not ready to jump into the next one. I would like to open something by the sea. I, I nearly opened a, a Mario, a Mario Mare, which is mm -hmm. by the sea. Mm -hmm. When you say uh, by the sea, you mean where? Literally by the sea. Oh, I don't know. I haven't found a location yet. Like literally on the beach somewhere? Literally on the beach. Okay. Like, You know, you're eating while your yeah, toes feet are, are in, in the water. water. That's nice. You know, that sort of like yeah. a Jamal type of place. Yeah, yeah. But it's not easy coming across finding some piece nice of land. Because I don't know if I want a piece of land. I want a little shack somewhere yeah. and turn that into a mm -hmm. little gem. Well, that sounds like a plan. And, and I'm, that's, I'm. That's my. That's That would be my. The one that would excite me. Yeah. I don't want to do other projects that don't excite me in the meantime. Okay. <laughs> well, we're waiting for that one. <laughs> It was great having you. Thanks for stopping by. Thank you.
I'm sorry if I talk a lot. Well, that's what you're here for. Okay, good. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the show. You can find us on hakawati.com. That's hakawati with an I. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment. Yes, I will read every one of your comments. See you next time. <laughs>